Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 351. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lendit FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Jeff Winner. He is the CEO of Happy Money. Now, Happy Money have been around for a few years. They are a fintech lender specializing in unsecured consumer loans. We talk a little bit about their history there and how that works. But what was really interesting is that Jeff revealed during this interview that Happy Money is embarking on this new endeavor, a banking as a service product, where they are going to be basically packaging up their consumer loan offering into an API and making it available to just about anyone. And we go into that in some depth. It's really interesting. I mean, Happy Money have focused on the credit union space. That's who's funding the loans today. And Jeff has big plans for that space. You know, as a group, they really need technology solutions badly because credit unions, they're not known for their cutting edge technology. So we talk about that in some depth. Interesting that uh, Jeff also talks about why they decided to move to a remote only workforce. We get into that. And uh, he talks about what's next. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Well, thank you, Peter. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background. You've had a really interesting career working at some of the biggest names in tech and most recently at Goldman Sachs. So tell us a little bit about the highlights of your career before Happy Money. A long time ago, I did a startup called Collabra. We were purchased by Netscape, and that was sort of the first place where I got touching internet technology. And I had the good fortune there to lead the team that built SSL. Wow. And so I also got a strong taste for what it was like to take something complicated and turn it into something simple that people could consume. And I liked that, really liked that. It informed a lot of my career after that. Mm -hmm. About 15 years ago, I got into fintech by doing a startup called CardSpring, which was essentially linking credit card transactions so that online advertisers could understand attribution. We were purchased by Twitter, where I led the commerce team. Mm -hmm. After Twitter, I was the head of engineering at Stripe. Stripe's a fantastic company. I'd probably still be there, but Goldman came along with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, truly once-in-a-lifetime. People say that, but they don't know what it means, which was (laughs) to go to Goldman and lead the team that built the Apple Card. Did that. I became the CTO of the bank. But I'm really a startup person through and through. I wanted to get back to startups. And when I talked with the previous CEO, Scott, at Happy Money, I felt that it was a good fit for me in terms of the mission, a good fit for me in terms of how they had managed to structure the stack of the company and the opportunity for me to have impact and for technology to have a big impact on the company. And so I came there. And then last September, I became the CEO of the company as we sort of refined our mission. Right, right. So then tell us a little about that, though. How do you describe Happy Money today? So what we are today is different than what we're going to be very shortly. So what we are today is a 
fintech company that facilitates loans, one type of loan, which is a credit card debt consolidation loan Mm -hmm. on top of the credit union balance sheets. And we do that because we want to create tools and services to help people to have a happier relationship with your money. So our loans have a lot of characteristics. They're designed to be paid off. They're transparent. They have no penalties. They start you on that sort of like path to getting away from having overburdensome credit card debt. Because we built that, we ended up in this place where we sit on top of the credit union balance sheet. We do the underwriting. The credit unions fund the loans. We send them instructions to do that. And then we service the loan and distribute the payments as well. Mm -hmm. And so we are an independent company that sits on top of the balance sheets. And what that has done is provided us the foundation to do the next thing that we're doing, which we're working on right now, which is launching 10 more types of unsecured lending. All of those with the same idea that they would be designed to create a happy relationship with your money. They're designed to be paid off. There are no penalties, completely transparent. Actually, the Apple card is designed that way as well. And the next thing that we're shipping after that is we see this thing coming, which is not like us forecasting. Everyone talks about it, which is essentially banking services, financial services being decomposed into APIs mm-hmm. and then recomposed and made available in consumer applications and things like that, where the consumers are at the time they want to use them. And so the next thing we're launching is we're launching a lending as a service API in quarter two of this year. Wow. Let's get into that in a little bit, but I want to go back and talk about sort of, you know, Happy Money, it's a unique company. Um, You've got a unique name. I can see that uh, it's part of sort of the ethos of the company, but maybe you could talk a little bit about how you view happy money. I mean, there's lots of fintech lenders out there today, um, lots of bank lenders, uh, credit unions, you name it. There's a lot of people that are offering loans online. How do you say you differentiate yourself, particularly when you're, I'm thinking about in the eyes of the consumer? So the primary way that we differentiate ourselves, there are two ways. One is, as we do these credit card payoff loans, the loans are designed to be paid off, which credit cards are not typically designed to be paid off. They're designed mm-hmm. to carry a balance forever and a lower interest rate that gets you into a better situation. The second aspect of them is that they have no penalties. So you don't miss a payment by a day or two and end up with all these hideous penalties and dramatic increases in interest rates and things like that. So they truly are designed to be paid off. And the third thing is the way we do our underwriting, which is a combination of the regular things that people do, like FICO score and looking at ability to pay. We've augmented that with some small amount of our psychometric science in order to provide loans and better pricing kind of to everybody, but especially the people who may not have the thickest credit file, may not have the most history in credit, credit, but definitely from the point of view of our science are a good credit risk and will pay the loan. And that enables students, one, lower price loans, which is interest rate, right? And then loans to more people. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And so then who are these people? Can you give us a little, like, like a profile of a typical Happy Money customer? The Happy Money customers are all over the place. They can be baby boomers, millennials. I think they're primarily millennials, just millennials are at that age. Mm-hmm. They usually have a f- solid income and a reasonable credit history, you know, high 600s. 700, but they have gotten themselves into a problem where they're carrying a very heavy burden of credit card debt. Mm-hmm. And so what we do, the product we are offering right now, and the product that you know we'll continue to offer, takes all that credit card debt and pays it off and puts it on typically a two to five year loan, usually two, at lower interest rates. Interest rates are 599 to 24.99%, depending on the credit rating and the, that sort of thing for the person. And the amounts are five to 40K. So it isn't people that are unemployed. It isn't 
typically people that are really struggling. It's more people that just got a little bit ahead of themselves or something on their spending on their credit cards. Right, right. Okay. And then why choose the credit union channel? That's interesting. There's not many fintech companies operating in that space, but can you tell us what is it you know, about the credit union channel that you like? So there's a lot of things to like about credit unions. Here's a few of the ones we like. One is that credit unions are not-for-profit organizations designed for the benefit of their members. And that aligns with our mission, right? Of providing tools to help people have a better relationship with their money. So we're mission aligned with them. The second is because they're not for profit, they don't pay any taxes. They have a lower cost of funds, which has actually not been an advantage the last year or so. But as we enter a rising rates environment, Mm -hmm. that cost of funds benefit for the credit unions will become more and more. And then we'll pass that through, of course, to the consumers with the loans. And the third one is more of a philosophical thing. We believe that In order to have high quality financial products for consumers, you need to have a broad set of competition. And we think that by weaving the credit unions together into a single platform that we can provide for this sort of like virtual giant bank that can compete with the chases in the cities. And then the credit unions and probably eventually the community banks can still succeed in a world of digitization, which typically digitization crushes all the small players. And I think if you were to think of a model around that that is working now, that we hope we can do this model, is Shopify. And Shopify allows tons of small merchants to exist, which are being crushed by Amazon because Amazon is such an effective merchant. And we hope that by pulling the credit unions into a single technology platform that's uniformly accessible and a broadly accessible set of APIs, that we can create an environment where they still succeed and thrive, and we do as well. But you're starting to get into the lending as a service uh, type offering. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go down that route? You talked about some of the things, I guess, just then, but there's a lot more complexity in, into you know, having a business that's beyond just a consumer lending business. So tell us a little bit about the philosophical decision to really branch out beyond just providing loans directly. A couple of things are driving that. One is this recognition of this trend, which we're not driving, but which is just a trend in the industry of internet companies, consumer internet companies, implementing or integrating banking services into their platforms and keeping that first touch with the consumers. I believe that banks have lost first touch and they're not getting it back. And credit unions certainly have lost first touch and not not getting it back. So part of it's just the reality of the world that you're not going to be able to compete with the big consumer internet brands and get first touch back with the consumer. The second one is that that has created a movement of people expecting banking services to be seamlessly available where they are right now and where they need them. Right. And so then we would also be fighting that general expectation. The third one is that we don't think it competes with our consumer offering and we tend to keep our consumer offering. But what we do think it does is it provides for a broader set of opportunities for the credit unions to participate with real internet companies participate with entrepreneurs like at Y Combinator and Techstars. And that is also important to us. The fourth one is probably, I love API businesses. Like <laughs> you get to work with engineers, you can hire great engineers because they build products for their friends. Their friends will tell you cool new things to do for your product that are actually valuable. And when you do them, they'll use them. I think that I would like to bring this kind of general, almost foundational capability of banking as a full service API and just see what the tech community does with it and how they take off with it and how it becomes a part of the infrastructure. How's it going to work? It sounds like what you're talking about is a little broader than what I thought initially, but I think we all understand this embedded finance, banking of the services becoming a bigger and bigger deal in fintech. But maybe you can dig into 
what's it going to look like? Because you said something interesting there. You, you don't feel like this is competitive with the, the consumer lending product. I assumed you were going to have an API that the credit unions can access and they all have a seamless kind of interface out of the consumer loans that you would do all of the work for. But can you just describe a little bit more detail how it will work? So the way it would work broadly is that we'll have an API accessible to anyone. It's interesting that you mentioned the credit unions. The credit unions are interested in using the API themselves. And that API can be embedded anywhere. It's like beyond white label. You can use the API can look however you want. That API will provide complete lending. So we'll do the verification of who you are. We'll do the underwriting. We'll fund the loan. We'll service the loan all through our backend systems. And that means that as a consumer internet company, you just have your customers get loans. It just works, right? It means as a credit union, if you want to use our style of underwriting or our systems for servicing, then you can just put this on your homepage and say, hey, do you want an unsecured loan? And we'll direct it to their balance sheet. So people don't have to solve the balance sheet problem. As a very broad reach, it provides for this aggregated operating efficient, high quality underwriting, high quality servicing that we do. That is a kind of more is better game. The more loans we're servicing, the higher the number of volume, the better we get at that and the more efficient we are because it's just like a volume game, right? We'll get better and better at the operating efficiency there. Right, right. And so we've looked at a few of the possible people that might use it and the credit unions themselves because they like us and us helping them with targeting their customers and us providing the underwriting in a seamless way and that sort of thing. Neobanks have expressed interest in using it. Because most of them are checking and savings, consumer lending is significantly hard to do, and we can offer them a solution out of the box. PFMs are interested, financial advisors, doctor's offices, lawyers, all these sorts of places where a point loan could help you out. We haven't done much with BNPL, and two things, if we were to do that, that would distinguish us from other people. Again, we don't have penalties. like We don't have loans that explode on you and stuff if you miss a payment, period. It would just not be that way. So mm-hmm. they would have to work as a regular loan. And the second one is we report everything to the credit agencies, which most BNPL doesn't know, but we would continue to do that. That may make us very unattractive for people that are doing BNPL, but I don't think it's good for consumers to have a whole bunch of unreported loans. So we're not going to do that. Right. Interesting. So you're talking about moving beyond financial services completely and you're talking uh, point of sale, like doctor's offices and that sort of thing. That's really interesting. And then you're a tech guy, so this is not um, its not a stretch for you to kind of create this type of product, but I'm just wondering how this sort of has changed the company internally to kind of moving from being a, just a fintech company offering lending to really a technology company. So a couple of things it has done. The first is that it has placed a much stronger emphasis on the engineering team, right? like building a much larger engineering team. Part of that is because we're recognizing we're becoming a tech company. The second part of it is with our sort of organic growth of our consumer site, we can understand the volume. APIs, you have to be really ready for rapid use, rapid changes in volume and those sorts of things. And really the only way to do that is technology, right? And so that has pushed us into that place. The second part it done, and it might seem a little bit counterintuitive, but we do have this broad mission of ensuring that these high quality right now lending products are out there that are designed in a way that don't get consumers in trouble and provide for a better relationship with their money. And we could think of doing that through the reach of the Happy Money app and the Happy Money website, but we're one consumer company. If we think about leveraging that reach through a whole bunch of different partnerships, that makes it, I think, more likely that we will achieve this long-term mission of actually changing the way lending works. Because if you're seeing a type of loan 
just say the no penalties thing. If you're seeing that type of loan all over the place, then when you go someplace that has it, it's going to start to stand out as, wait a minute, you know, I, I saw 50 places that don't have penalties. They might all be powered by us, but we think it also does have the opportunity to drive our perspective on lending more quickly through the US. Right. Right. So the one thing though about lending is, I mean, you talk about Shopify and I can get the tech side of things, but lending also has a financial component where you want to offer your tech, you need to have a capital partner to provide capital. Are you providing the API and sort of the capital partner in a box as well? Yes, we do. We think that a lending API that doesn't provide the capital and the servicing, we actually also have a loan participation network that works off of the back to make sure our capital supply stays topped up, is not a very useful thing if you're not a fintech. If you're a regular tech and they come and say, oh, you want to make some loans, provide me some capital. You're like, well, I don't know the first thing about providing capital that can be lent out of. I don't know how to get a bank or a banking license or a credit union license. And so we are backed by about a hundred billion in credit union assets right now. We can lend out of the asset pool we have right now. And this is sort of a yin and yang thing. We can lend about 300 million a month before we would start to sort of tap out their appetite for that. They have to balance their books and the asset risks and the types of assets they have on their books. And so we can't lend all the money out through ours. And we have a line of credit unions that would like to participate more. And the reason is that we have a very high quality, good return asset that's different from what they have right now. They're primarily auto and mortgage and mixing in some amount of unsecured makes for a better robust risk profile and also a better return because auto and mortgage have very low returns right now, right? It's extremely competitive and very low returns. We help provide with that mix of assets. So yes, we do solve the capital problem for you. So this sounds like you're sticking with credit unions then. You're not sort of moving beyond that for the capital, is that at least in the short term? We're still a pretty little company, only 400 people, right? And so for the remainder of this year, at least, actually probably for not remainder this year, for another year, at least, we will be working with building our platform on top of the credit unions. And that's what we'll stick with. Credit unions in the US do seem kind of old fashioned to people and people don't think about them that much, but they're still a pretty vibrant part of banking. Mm-hmm. They have almost $2 trillion in assets. I would love to be at a place where we had all the credit unions and we were lending so much money that we needed more capital, but that doesn't seem like that will happen that quickly. So we are sticking with the credit unions. And as I said, we like having a banking partner where when we talk to them about how you're going to give up a little bit of return to benefit the, the members, they're okay with that, that they have that discussion with us and, and are aligned. I'm curious about whether this idea for kind of this, you know, lending as a service API in a box type thing, where did the idea come from? Was this being driven by the credit unions, your credit union partners, or are you, is this something that you just felt like the market was ready for? It was really driven by me when I was the CTO. Okay. And for two reasons. One is I come from a background where, I mean, I worked early days with AWS, which is an API-driven thing. I worked with Twilio. I worked with at Stripe. We built the Apple Card as an API-based business because you don't know anything about Goldman Sachs when you're using Apple Card. And so I had had sort of hammered into me over 15 years the power of these APIs right. and how you can expand your business in unforeseen ways. And the second one is more of a defensive thing. I thought, well, there's no one out there doing this, especially no one out there providing the capital. It's significantly complicated to do in a nice and simple way. And I, I hope I still have the skills to design a nice and simple API for people to use. And then the third one is 
it feels like a foundational capability, much like Stripe and payments is a foundational capability. Like being able to lend some money to a consumer is a foundational capability. Mm -hmm. And so those things made me think about that. On the other side, every distribution channel that Happy Money is in, we use the Credit Karma, all those affiliate networks that are out there, you know, we use direct email and we use advertising online, social networks and things like that are highly competitive and we're just in the soup with everyone else. And it's really hard to distinguish ourselves until someone comes to our site, right? Versus being in an API. And this is also something I like. That is like a really a partnership with another company that we're going to provide something valuable. It's going to help your business grow. will help our business grow and we'll grow together. And I also kind of just like that as a person. I like co-opetition, whatever they call it, right? Where you work with other people and everybody gets to have a bigger business, right? Yep. Yep. For sure. So what about the implementation of the API? I imagine you tried to make it as simple as possible. What kind of expertise does the company need who is implementing the Happy Money API? So interestingly enough, that's not related to fintech. It's related to just regular tech and the way that APIs work. So if you think about it, we have a technology stack that can make loans. We can fund people. We can underwrite them. We can find out who they are. We can do all those and money laundering checks and all that sort of stuff. But we can only do that for one person. And so what we need to build or what what we've almost built is a system that operates in a couple ways. One is... The API is simple and easy to consume. We're not going to ask you for a whole bunch of detailed financial information or things like that. We will provide that for you, just like Stripe handles credit card numbers for people, right? We'll have to handle more than that. You don't have to understand the underwriting process. But on the technical side, what we need to do is to make that system what they call multi-tenant. And what that means is that each person, while they're using the same system behind it, don't know that. People don't see anything about anyone else. And that is the primary one. The secondary one is that we need to provide for solid guarantees for SLAs. That's a service level agreement. And what that means is that if someone is consuming an API and you're writing your program around that API, you need to know how that's going to perform. Like how often is it going to be up? How long is it going to take to respond? Which operations are asynchronous? And so all of that is what we're working on as well. Sort of defining that carefully, monitoring that to ensure that when people start using the API, they don't have unexpected slownesses, outages that are unaccounted for, things like that. And then the third one that you don't need is there's a thing in the is called callbacks. And that's just basically when something happens, it takes a long time. We tell you when it's done. So rather than you waiting, which would consume your resources and make it very expensive, you can make a call. And then later on, we'll call back and say, oh, the underwriting's done or that sort of thing. And those are systems that we had to stand up over the last six months because being a single purpose proprietary system, we didn't have those technical capabilities. They're not really new things to invent, but they're things we hadn't built in. I want to go to the underwriting just for a bit because, I mean, it sounds like it has to be all automated, right? You can't go and have um, a back and forth in an API-driven system, right? You can. It makes it painful to (laughs) (laughs) You can, but you don't. (laughs) And so we are trying to get to the place where all three of these things happen with as little back and forth with the API or the consumer. So when you think of underwriting, like complicated thing, but it's not not really complicated. You're just answering three questions, right? The first question is, are you who you say you are? Right, we need to answer that. The second question is, can you pay this back? So what is your financial situation? Can you pay this on? And the third one is, will you pay the right? And we do a lot of work on that. And so we are in the process of ensuring that all of those are completely automated and we're 
part way there now, but you're right. It's an effort to get there. And in particular, I would like to see us be as great as the Apple card is. I don't know if you signed yes, up. Yes, I have one, an Apple card. But the underwriting. And that takes like 15 yep. seconds. So we would like to get to be that level of automation because we weren't an API before. That's another area where we're working hard to sort of get all that under control and get that to the place where it's completely automated. I will say when I applied for the Apple card on my phone, it was the easiest and most pleasant experience of applying for a card that I've ever experienced. So you did a good job there. <laughs> <laughs> Apple did a lot yes. of it, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, I want to switch gears in the remaining time we have. I read that you really are a remote first you know, workforce these days. I've actually been to your office in Southern California. It's a lovely office. Why you decide to do that and how are you maintaining the happy money culture in a distributed environment? We are a distributed only company. We actually sublet our office. We don't have an office oh, okay. anymore. And that was intentional. It's actually more difficult to mix some employees remote and some employees not remote because you always get like jealousies and unfairnesses and people in the office do natural human things like have lunches together and exclude the people that are remote because they're not there. So we decided we would take all of our efforts and solve being fully distributed. So a couple things we do. The first is that we are very intentional about our communication. We write a lot more stuff down. So we send out a lot of written documents to say what's going on. We have almost everything that you want to know you can find either in Google Docs or on our portal. And we focus on automation there. And that's just sort of like being aligned, knowing what the company's doing, knowing how you fit in, know, knowing those sorts of things. And we actually have found that the surveys of the employees say they're more aligned now than they were when we were in the mm. office. And I think we were just relying on physical proximity to have like osmosis of knowledge. And that doesn't actually happen, it turns out. We work on that. The second one is I do a bunch of things personally to sort of connect with the employees. And that is I send a, a weekly newsletter to the employees to say what's going on, what's important, what's changed, all, all those sorts of things. I have a coffee chat every week with 15 to 20 employees just to keep touch bases. I do all hands every few weeks where everybody's on Zoom. And that seems to be helping to sort of keep people in contact. Then the last thing we do is like very tactically planned in real life experiences. And last year we did it on a team basis. We learned a lot from that. We're kind of an iterate and learn organization. And this year we're doing an all company event where we all get to see each other in person. And that'll primarily be focused on that stuff you can't build, like remotely that, like seeing each other face-to-face, -face, building those connectivities and that sort of thing. I'm glad we're not bigger. It's a lot of work to plan that for 400 right. people, but. <laughs> Understood, yes, indeed. So I want to talk about fundraising because you became a unicorn earlier this year, at least that's what I read. And, you know, you guys have been around for many years. So what were you looking for in this latest funding round? Was it just the capital? Was there something more? As you mentioned, we became a unicorn. We had a 1.1 valuation and it was one of our internal investors that led the round. So I think that does reflect on the growth they'd seen, the strength of the business, confidence in the team, all these sorts of things to give us that valuation and, and the money. We raised that money on two things. One, we had really gotten good at focusing on the fundamentals of our business. We were seeing substantial growth. We've now beat the forecast every month for six months in a row. And so we're doing a good job of like the fundamentals, like we see our business, we see how the growth is going, we can control our spending on that. But more importantly, the strategy of launching banking as a service, creating a platform that all the credit unions could participate in and being that platform in the long run had our investors very excited. And the primary use of those proceeds is to accelerate that 
and to ensure that we come to a place where we're well prepared. If someone launches and goes to high volume, we can support our SLAs and all those sorts of things. Basically, not, I think that's kind of standard for startups. Right, right. This accelerate the business, right? Yeah. So then last question, you mentioned at the start, you got like 10 things that you want to do. Maybe you could take us through sort of what's next for Happy Money once you've launched your API lending as a service product. What else is um, in the future? So the two things that are in the future, number one, explore with our credit union partners what other types of banking services they would like to offer through APIs and decide like what the lift would be, what the value would be of that, do some test marketing, decide what comes next. That's harder for us because we currently do lending and we don't do those other things. So we would it'll be a long road to do mm-hmm. that. And then the second one is to partner more tightly with the credit unions and to understand what other value we could offer them. An example would be credit unions have 130 million members, but very little data science capability because data scientists are rare and there's a huge amount of talent, right? And what could we help them with in terms of recommending financial products to their consumers, insights on their members, those sorts of things? Because we do see ourselves as a two-sided platform, one side where we provide these banking capabilities to consumer internet companies, but the other side is where we help the credit unions to get access to advanced technology and succeed. And so I think the next thing would be to sort of like push more into that. We just have our toe in the water there now where we have some of the credit unions are too small to link directly with us. They don't have the technical capabilities. And so we launched the loan participation network where we completely run that. Like we we take the loans, we find the participation to the various credit unions that want to participate. And then we take the payments and we distribute the money and all that is just sort of help them to one, have some of our asset on their books, and then two, participate in the community there. So that would be this, the second thing, would be to start to see how we can deepen and make more value in that relationship with the credit unions for the credit unions themselves. Okay, that's super interesting. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Much appreciated. Best of luck. Oh, thank you so much. You know, credit unions are in a really interesting spot right now because They've historically had a very loyal membership base because there's some sort of affinity with the members. But today, people are very much focused on what you can do on the technology side of things. What's your mobile app like? What's your website like? Can I do all the things I need to do in one place? And what Jeff and the team at Happy Money are are doing are going to really providing credit unions with the possibility of having cutting-edge technology. Certainly when it comes to consumer loans, they will be able to, to do that. And I think this is what credit unions need. They need to be able to have access to technology that consumers are happy with. The consumers can use a bunch of different services all under the one roof and it's all really you know, high quality cutting edge. So it's going to be fascinating to see what, what happens as that plays out. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.